and welcome to the Changing Directions Filmmaker Podcast Series presented by 206.com. I am your host, Mark Morin, and I'm speaking with director Antoinette Hadone. We'll be discussing her movie Fangirl, which is an official selection of the Austin Asian American Film Festival. Antoinette, welcome to the podcast all the way from the Philippines. Thank you for being here. Hi, Mark. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. I appreciate you taking the time. Now, your movie Fangirl, which stars Charlie Dizon and Paolo Avellino, who plays a fictional version of himself in the movie, has been playing film festivals and has won awards along the way. For those that don't know the story, it's about a teenage superfan named Jane who hides in the back of Paolo Avellino's truck after he makes a public appearance. Now, once he discovers she is along for the ride, you know, the world of fandom and celebrity slowly unravels in some very eye-opening ways. Now, from what I understand, you are well known for your romantic comedies prior to this film, and yet this movie has a decidedly different tone. So where did the idea for Fangirl come from, and why was it important for you to tell this story? I think in essence, uh, Fangirl is still a love story, but just a different kind of love story. It's a love story between a fan and an idol, but going, treading the coming of age route. So I guess I've been in, I've been making romantic comedies since uh, I think five years, six, seven years ago. And even before I was a director, I, I'm really a rom-com girl at heart. So it, it's really my comfort zone. So with Fangirl, I wanted to like push the boundaries of where the love story can go where we don't focus on so much about the romance but on the journey of a girl trying wanting so hard to be a woman so fast so there there's a lot of different dynamics in the movie than what you would typically expect from a romantic comedy you know just the age difference and the you know fan and and celebrity as i mentioned Paolo plays a fictional version of himself in the movie, and without giving too much away, the character turns out to be not very likable um, in some respects. Now tell me about your collaboration with Paolo in creating this fictional version of, of him in the film. Um, actually, I had we had a hard time getting an actor who is willing to play as himself and an actor who will put his reputation and image and brand and name on the line because there's sex, drugs, and everything else. So um, we were so lucky that when we gave the script to Paolo, he's is really a very popular romantic romantic lead in the Philippines. So we were actually, I was a little worried that he wasn't going to accept the role because of his image. But after reading the script, after we sent him the script, in three days, he was able to reply and he just said, um, I'm good, I'm in, and who's playing fangirl? That's his only question, actually. <laughs> he didn't question anything else about the about the script. So it was from there, I I think um, I lucked it out because he was able to um, get the grasp of the statement of the film. And so from then, I knew I wasn't only getting an actor, but also an ally in putting the statement to life. Yeah, he really seemed to to give a lot to the performance. Now, did he affect who the character, I mean, it was kind of playing himself, but did he affect who the character was in your story or or did you maintain a lot of, of what you originally wrote? So I wrote the script with him in mind, but when he said yes, I altered some more based on initial talks with him. And then after that, um, we had, we talked before the shooting and 
we just collaborated on the kind of Paolo Avellino that will be on screen because it's not really Paolo Avellino, the real life Paolo Avellino and the, for the Paolo Avellino I wrote. So it's like a collaboration. It's a new um, Paolo Avellino on Fangirl. So, but during the shooting process, I let him, I just trusted him with how he wanted the character to come out. So even I am a, will get also surprised with the kind of treatment that he would do in a particular scene um, because that's how I wanted it. it it's, it's, it's his character also. It's not just mine alone. So I was really very open to a very collaborative process in creating the perfect Paolo Evelino for, for Fangirl. Oh, that's great. It sounds like you worked really well together to, to create a, a really, really interesting character. And I hope that uh, the Palo Avellino fans that are out there can really make a distinction between the two, because in real life, he seems like a really great person. Yes, yeah, he's a good friend. Uh, excellent. Now, while I was watching the movie, I was so impressed with Charlie Dizon's performance as Jane. So how did she come into the project and how much did she influence who the Jane we see on screen is? Um, Charlie was came in the audition, so I did an open casting call, and there were like six hundred over six hundred eighty girls who auditioned for the role. Wow! So yeah, I wanted someone who's not who's not a popular actress, so I wanted a fresh face. Although Charlie already played some support roles in film and TV, but she hasn't had any um, lead roles, so she's not a household name in in Philippine TV and film. So. Uh, a quick anecdote, a quick side story is that um, we already found our fangirl. So we already did some rehearsals and table readings and we did the, the costume, the wardrobe. But a week before the, sh- the our shoot, our grind, she had to back out oh, because no. of contract problems. Yeah. But um, I didn't have any more time to move the date to a later date because of budget concerns because I already postponed the the date three times, I think. So my producers were all <laughs> getting really mad and crazy. So right. we had to do another round of auditions for the new fangirl to replace the original one. And then Charlie came in on, thir- came in on Thursday. And then we said yes um, afternoon of Thursday. And on Sunday, we were on our first day of shoot. So it was that fast. So before before we sh- we did the first day, it was really a very rigorous set of workshops and set of scene studies with with Charlie since he's not very familiar yet with the character. But I guess it all, as they say, it everything happens for a reason. So <laughs> yeah, that was the silver lining. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes things just fall into place for the, for yeah. reasons like you say. Now she she must have really made a big impression on you right from the right from the get go then. Yeah, when she entered, so I was really getting frustrated because I think that we thought the, the first band was really perfect for the role. So I was really getting frustrated. But when Charlie came inside the room, when she entered, she had this really special kind of aura. <laughs> it's a, a special kind of energy. And then when she entered and when she began to um, say her name and and just walk, we knew she was it. Um, even before we, she had to do the the audition, the audition piece. She wow. was a standout in the second round of auditions. Yeah. Nice. Now, one of the things that I had mentioned in my review about Charlie is, even though you know I'm like the farthest person away from being a teenage girl, 
but her performance made her experience so relatable. So was that something that you saw instantly from her? Or is that something that, that the two of you worked on? Of Just even facial expressions and the way she talked is, was just, there was so much in her performance. It was just really impressive. And like I said, a very relatable performance, even, even from my perspective. I guess her being the second choice and her being just put on the spot right away, it really helped. She wasn't so prepared for the role, so the rawness and the sincerity really showed um, even from the beginning. So I wasn't so I when when we got her as the fangirl, we told her about all the sensitive scenes in the film, the the sex scenes, the kissing scenes, the masturbation, etc. etc. the violence in the film. And then she said yes. And then I told her the story of Andrew from the beginning to the end. But before the shooting day, I never gave her a full script. So she would only know of the script before before the actual scene would, would be shot. So I think it really helped with the process because being a first-time lead actress, I think if I give her the whole script, she would really study the hell out of it and everything would be so calculated. And she would... Should really, um, there were no room for improvement and everything because she would do post its and she would do, she would highlight the special scenes. But since I talked to her and she agreed to that kind of process, the the sincerity came out. It was really raw every every scene because we would process the film right before we will shoot it. So the emotions are really really new to her, and we I I just uh, talked to her about it that. You are free to show your emotions because you are almost the same age as the as the real fangirl and you're a fangirl in real life. So I'm older than this fangirl and you might know more about the character than I do. So I just trusted her too, just like with Paolo. Oh, that's great. She did a she did a great job with taking that trust and running with it. So I'm glad that yeah. worked out. Now, aside from that last minute recasting, what would you say was the biggest challenge of getting this film made? I guess get getting the lead actor would be would be one thing because we started we started developing this film in 2016 and we were we were really worried that um, no actor would agree to play this kind of role um, because in the Philippines the branding and image really matter a lot to an actor's longevity so I we didn't think we would get the right actor who's brave enough to put his heart and soul and um, and his reputation on the line. So um, it took us three years to get the right actor to play the role. So it was, a, it was a major hurdle for us. But during those three years, I was also able to revise and rewrite the, the script and we attended Project Markets and Script Lab. So um, I was able to get more perspective and wisdom from other mentors and other people who read the script. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, uh, you talk about how important it is for the actors and actresses in the Philippines, that image and that the way they project themselves. Now, the film itself, has there been a difference in the reaction when you showed it in the Philippines compared to film festivals here in the States? Are people looking at it differently? Is it the type of story that it is? Um, in the in the Philippines, there were a lot of fans of Paolo Avellino who were really shocked. And they really couldn't believe um, he would be able to do such things. So that only means that 
it really supported the the statement of the film that there really is a very thin line between the real act, the real character and the and the real person playing it so it's still there there's the celebrity culture and idolatry in in here in the Philippines but i guess that kind of celebrity culture also happens even outside the Philippines right so other people um non-filipinos were also gave their own insights um very similar insights to fan culture celebrity culture and even blind blind followership the only difference is that with the filipino audience it went beyond the the celebrity culture and it also uh they were able to get the layer of the commentary on the political climate in the philippines that it goes beyond just actors and actresses so um which is Um, how we designed, how I designed the milieu of the film. So I'm really super happy that they were able to take that away from the film as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it does seem like there's a lot of subtle messaging within the film on top of the obvious stuff that you talk about. So I'm glad your messages were able to come across. That must be a good feeling. You know, when you think about this movie, and just the process of making it and getting it out there. What's the the first thing that you think of the, about the whole process that gives you a feeling of gratitude? It's just that, actually, because in the Philippines, directors really wouldn't have IP, I mean, property, inter- intellectual property rights to the films that they do. So usually it's just commission work. So I've been doing a lot of films since 2011. I think this is my 11th film. But this is the first time that I co-own the IP rights of my film. So that's really, I mean, it's really a victory for me and all creatives, I should say. Finally, after so many years of just being like a director who's making films, I would write all my films, but I don't own any of it. Finally, I have this baby this fangirl that i can call my own and you know we co- i co-produced it with my company project eight project so i'm really happy that my co-producers trusted me with this film and that first time is something i will always cherish as a creator and as a creative oh that's great congratulations that must be a wonderful <laughs> feeling just, just to have a movie out there that you can call your own Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Now, in that same context of, you know, you, you referred to this as like your your baby and putting it out there in the world. What was something that you learned making this movie that you may not have understood or known with your previous films? Well, I guess you just have really just have to tell because we made this film before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So you made this in 2019 before Corona. So we really had a lot of plans of this really being in theaters, playing in theaters in the Philippines and wish we showed it during during the pandemic so there were no theaters at all in the Philippines. So I guess I learned that you just have to do your story and then when you finish the film it will have a life of its own and even though we weren't able to show in theaters here in the Philippines Uh, we were able to show it on an online streaming platform. But the silver lining of that is because it's online, Filipinos were able to see it without cuts. Because you see in the Philippines, we have censorship. So for sure, if we're going to show it in theaters, they're going to make us cut out the, the sex the sex scenes and the masturbation and the drugs, definitely, and the violence. Which is weird because the Marvel movies, they don't... 
they, they they don't ask them to cut the violent scenes and the sex scenes but I don't know for Filipino films they, they do that they censor they censor those parts so I guess that's the, that's a silver lining so the Filipinos were able to see um, fangirl from start to finish without cuts just like how the the people from our international premiere in Tokyo and in Tallinn in Estonia were able to see it Wow, that's amazing. There's always silver linings when it comes to you know what we've dealt with with the pandemic and everything. So I'm glad to hear that your real vision of the film was able to be shown. So that's actually pretty incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Over the last year, you know, my podcast interviews have included Filipino-American filmmakers like Isabel Sandoval, Ramona Diaz, Mallory Ortega, and Diane Paragas. The one thing that stands out to me about all of their films is that they are such personal stories with an emphasis on family and culture. So from your perspective, coming from the Philippines, what does it mean to you to see this type of representation receiving attention and recognition here in the States and really around the world as well? Um, it really, it feels good that the film is not just for the Filipino audiences, but other other audiences from all over the world will be able to see how Filipino culturists from the eyes of a Filipino filmmaker. I mean, I made this film primarily for the Filipino audience, but when I see other people from other cultures also appreciate the story, it means so much to me as a filmmaker. It means that stories are universal and Filipino stories um, transcend cultures as well. Absolutely, thank you. Who inspires you that's not a filmmaker? Who inspires me that's not a filmmaker? Collectively, I guess... Wait, that, that's a hard question. But I guess... <laughs> other... My other my colleagues... not No no particular film, filmmaker in particular. But my other colleagues, um, other filmmakers in the Philippines would always inspire me. Especially during, during the pandemic when... All filmmakers were able to release films even without the be the benefit of releasing it in theaters. I mean, um, it just makes you continue to create and continue to to tell your stories even though you don't know where the world is headed after this. The Filipino film industry is really a very inspiring community. Since the theaters have closed and we're, we don't know when it's going, going to be open, the industry is still very much alive. We've created a lot of series and um, online content through the different platforms. So we're all standing beside each other trying to make a living and keep each other alive. <laughs> no, that's great. It uh, sounds like it's a real big team effort. That's, that's outstanding. Yeah. Now, through your films and filmmaking, you've been able to inspire a lot of people. And I recently learned you found, a, a few years ago, you found a different way to inspire people by participating in a TED Talk. So tell me about that experience. Like, what did you learn? What was it like? Just tell me about that whole experience from, from beginning to end. Yeah, um, it was in 2014. It was the year I released my my film, That Thing Called Tadhana, or That Thing Called Meant To Be, it's also on Netflix. And I was really so young then, and I was just really so nervous about how people were going to accept the film. Because it's not, it's a ro romantic comedy, but it's not the usual Filipino romantic comedy. Because, yeah, it's just two people, two people talking and traveling and all that. So this university um, talked to me and asked me to do a TED Talk on anything 
anything which is which is so hard if if you're not giving it given a particular topic to talk about right. and so i would just told them maybe i should just talk about something i myself i'm not sure if i'm doing it right which is writing <laughs> so i was talking to the audience was mostly students university students and so it was about writing but from the perspective of um, writing when you're you, when you've been hurt the most it's when the creativity comes out because you feel so much emotions and so there i was so young then in fact i haven't watched the whole <laughs> the whole ted talk yet because i was so embarrassed with what i was saying i mean i watch ted talks all the time and so i feel so honored that they actually we had a ted talk here in the philippines and they got me as one of the speakers Oh, that's amazing. Sounds like it was a life-changing experience for you. Yeah. At this point now, what you know as a filmmaker and as a person, what is the number one bit of advice you would give to someone who wants to start making movies? I guess I would always say, especially with my production assistants and my staff, that try to start from the bottom and don't be frustrated if you don't become a director like a year after graduating. It pays to start from somewhere. That's where you'll get stories. That's where you'll um, you'll gain experience. So when the the time finally comes that you'll be given a break and you'll be given a chance to tell your story, you have a tribe behind you who will cheer you on, and you have the wisdom and experience to back it up. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Now, by the time people are able to listen to this interview, Fangirl will be available on Netflix worldwide. So how Yay. does it feel? Yeah, exactly. Congratulations. So how does it feel knowing Fangirl is being watched literally everywhere? So, so happy. I mean, it used to be that I would release a film and then only Filipinos would be able to watch it or friends of Filipinos. But now since in one click, you can you can watch it anywhere, wherever you are in the world. I guess it's really so. I feel so so blessed as a filmmaker that the story doesn't just go to the isn't just watched by Filipinos, but anybody from any part of the world can watch this film, and hopefully they'll be able to take away the the commentary and the critique, the the statement that we hid in the film. So yeah, it's, it's great. It's it's a great for a for a filmmaker that it your film transcends cultures and languages. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I, I really believe after watching it, there's a lot of important messages in the movie, and I think it is important for a lot of people to see. And, and as you mentioned, it is there's a lot of universal topics within the movie, so I think it'll register with just about anybody who chooses to watch it, because who isn't a fan of a movie star or an athlete or a singer? And I think people will be able to relate on that type of level. So congratulations on getting the film out there. Congratulations on the film festival run. And you know, Antoinette, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me again all the way from the other side of the world thank you so much thank you thank you mark this is the changing directions podcast series featuring fangirl director antoinette harone special thank you to the austin asian american film festival for helping to make this interview possible please subscribe to the podcast 
leave a review on iTunes and share on social media. Any way you can support the podcast is very much appreciated. You can find every podcast episode and all of my movie reviews, including my review of Fangirl on 206.com. Thank you for listening to the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com.